Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Hello! I am so absolutely delighted to have a truly esteemed panel of attorneys here today who are speaking up for voiceless animals, and we are across the globe. My name is Jane Velez Mitchell. I am in Los Angeles. We have uh, one of the attorneys in Barcelona or in Spain. We have another attorney in Massachusetts, and I don't know where you are, Kevin, but these are the attorneys fighting globally for animals who cannot speak for themselves. So I, I want to start with you, Karen, um, Kristen, rather. Um, you're at Harvard. You are um, advocating for animals in the courts, which we are very used to people protesting on the streets. But when you're in the courts, it's an entirely different game. Can you bring us up to date on what's happening, the ruling in Ecuador, mm -hmm. and how that might impact animals here in America? Well, I have to say that American courts are not typically prone to care too much about what happens outside the US. So unfortunately, we have to take that as a starting point. Um, with regard to animal rights, Ecuador has now zoomed ahead of really almost the rest of the world with this most recent, uh, this most recent ruling. And you're right that courts are not like protests, but courts have the ability to uh, not only make a decision in a, in a specific case, but to establish a precedent that good lawyers can then use to expand and expand and expand. And that's what we're hoping will happen in Ecuador and in the countries that look to Ecuador and consider Ecuador relevant in their decision-making, like other countries in, in Latin America. So, Kevin Schneider, you're with the Non-Human Rights Project. Break it down in people terms. What happened in Ecuador? There was a monkey. The monkey lived with a family. The government of Ecuador came in and grabbed this monkey. After years of the monkey living with this family as a family member, the poor monkey died in a zoo, and that turns out she or he was a martyr who um, essentially um, that tragedy led to a breakthrough legal case. That's right, Jane, and thanks for having me. And, and I'm in New York, by the way, in your old neighborhood on the Upper West Side. Oh, there you uh, go. Yeah, yeah. So you're right. In the case, it was um, an unusual one in that the owner, the alleged owner of, of the monkey, which is illegal to do in Ecuador to keep a wild animal without a permit. Uh, she brought the habeas corpus, which is an unusual situation because she's trying to get back an animal that really shouldn't have been with her to begin with. However, you know, the highest court in Ecuador for reasons that aren't entirely clear to us, selected this case, this habeas corpus case when the lower courts denied it and said, you know what, we're gonna elevate this to this higher question. And we're gonna look at it through what's called the rights of nature, which is very you know, unfamiliar to most attorneys and folks here in the States. But in Latin American countries, and particularly in Ecuador, uh, it's something that has been gaining ground. And this is the first time that a court, uh, that this court specifically, or any court, has applied the rights of nature in, in a country's constitution to apply to 
uh, wild animals into non-human animals. And, uh, you know, Macarena is, is our kind of resident expert on that. So um, I would defer to her for any more detailed questions. But that's what happened. And we were really pleased to see the high court rule the way that it did, because for, certainly from our perspective, the non-human rights project, we're, we're kind of accustomed to judges not being super open to these kinds of ideas. But in Ecuador, even some conservative judges, they said, you know what, the rights of nature, they do protect uh, at least some non-human animals. So Macarena, spell it out for us in people terms. For those who hear things like habeas corpus and like in people terms, again, there was this tragic case of a monkey in Ecuador living with a family. Turns out that was illegal. They took the animal out. They stuck the animal in a zoo. The, the animal died in short order. And the um, human companions who cared about this animal went to court. So in people terms, what happened and why is it a breakthrough legal case globally for animals? Okay, thanks for the invitation, Jane. So this case is a breakthrough because it's the first time that a court in Latin America has recognized that animals have constitutional rights. That means that their rights are protected by the constitution. And you might ask, why do they have these constitutional rights now? And it's because the Ecuadorian constitution recognizes nature's rights. So the constitutional court, well, seven judges out of the nine judges of the constitutional court, and that's why it was a massive victory, um, agreed that animal rights are protected by the rights of nature, are like a small part of the rights of nature. So uh, this case started off with a habeas corpus that the non-human rights projects, well, they're the experts on habeas corpus, but like in very simple terms, it's kind of, it's like when somebody goes to court and asks um, the judge to uh, decide if a, uh, an individual has been or not uh, unlawfully detained. So it's usually used for humans that are detained or prisoners. But in Latin America, especially, well, in the U.S. also, a habeas corpus has have been started to have been filed uh, on behalf of animals. And in Estreita's case, the family filed the habeas corpus, but they didn't know that Estreita had died a month before in the zoo. So that's why the Constitutional Court couldn't grant the habeas corpus, because Estreita had already died. But what's interesting is that the court said that the habeas corpus could be used in other cases, depending on the particular circumstances of those cases. So here's what I'm getting out of it. And Kristen Stilt, um, thank you for educating me and those watching who are not attorneys. Mm -hmm. um, Habeas corpus, if you had to boil it down, is you can't just imprison somebody without any justification. An and so doctrine. that's right. It's an old doctrine. We got it from, from the British and it basically means show me the body. So, for example, Guantanamo Bay, when all those folks were detained and no one knew why, the, the what the lawyer brings is a habeas corpus claim. Show me the body. Bring this person to court. And then show us that this detention is lawful. Sometimes the detention is lawful. Sometimes it's not. But it's a very, very fundamental legal cause that allows essentially us to be protected from detention. 
from unlawful detention, from wrongful detention by the government or even perhaps by a private uh, individual. It's one of our most fundamental protections. If you, Jane, disappeared tomorrow and we thought that California was holding you somewhere and we didn't even know where, right? We could bring a, a habeas corpus case anywhere in the state and say, show us Jane and tell us why the detention is lawful. And you know, we like to think that we have a very law abiding um, country, but it doesn't mean that every detention is indeed lawful or a court has determined the person appropriately uh, detained. So it's a very powerful doctrine that now is being used on behalf of animals to attempt to bring them, to bring the question before the court of is this detention lawful or not? And that is where uh, we succeeded in Ecuador uh, in the sense that the court at least entertained the possibility, but the monkey had died, as we said. And we have a very live question before us uh, with the Non-Human Rights Project in, in Happy's case. But that's what this doctrine is. It's old and it's very fundamental and it's extremely important for any civilized society that does not disappear people, essentially. And well, this is huge because let's face it, every single animal practically in this country, aside from dogs and cats, is being held as a prisoner. So if the rights of habeas corpus apply to animals, it's going to shake everything up, all the animals in factory farms, all the pigs in pig gestation crates, all the chickens in battery cages, all the animals in zoos, all the rats and mice and monkeys and dogs imprisoned for experiments, which there's a very strong argument to make are a waste of taxpayer money. So I understand that there is um, really a lot of fear in the industries that profit off of the use of animals over this case. I want to get to that in a second, but first we've got a caller. We've got Sarah on hold from Atlanta. Sarah, your question or thought? Hi, I'm really glad that you have uh, this topic on about this monkey. And I wanted to find out, I really think right now is the time for like every single kind of animal lawyer in the world to get a law firm and start an entire law firm based on this habeas corpus and get every one of these wild animals that's in all of these zoos and aquariums, like get them free. I think we need a firm. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, it would be great to have more attorneys. And I know the Non-Human Rights Project is doing incredible work. And you, uh, Kristen Stilt at Harvard, uh, you are doing incredible work in Macarena, Montes, Francis Kelly, I hope I pronounced it right, doing incredible work in Spain as attorneys. There are other organizations. There's Animal Legal Defense Fund. There's Advancing Law for Animals. And there's various attorneys. I believe I heard once that PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, has something like 19 attorneys. So there are attorneys on the case. But this has been described, I believe, in the Atlantic, the happy case as the most important animal rights case of the 21st century. So to try to break it down for those of us who are not attorneys, um, you had this sort of, you had this breakthrough case in Ecuador where uh, there was 
uh, rights granted to animals in light of what happened to this one poor, poor monkey who was ripped from her family. And now you have a case here in the United States that has caused a huge amount of protest. Happy the elephant languishing in the Bronx Zoo uh, has been the subject of huge protests in New York. And now there's a huge case coming up that again, the Atlantic has described as the most important legal case for animals in the 21st century. And there is hope that somehow what happened in Ecuador might help Happy uh, get out of her prison, her cage. And of course, we invite anybody from the Bronx Zoo uh, on any time. We would love to dialogue with you. So, Kevin, you're with the Non-Human Rights Project, which has been at the forefront of this battle to get the happy out. Um, she's been there for so many years. Tell us what the situation is with happy and how important this upcoming case is. Thank you so much. So happy, as you said, has been at the Bronx Zoo for uh, over 45 years. For the last 15 of those years, she's been held alone without the company of any other elephants. Uh, we believe she was taken from Thailand as a child and, um, you know, probably saw her family killed in front of her at least some of her family, and was brought, um, sorry. Was no, brought don't continue United on. States. Yeah. So. Oh, don't type, please, because it, it goes on to the radio. That's not typing. Those are those oh. are dog nails. I apologize. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, it Wait, sounds like that's typing. hysterical fun. That's so fun, because here we are, we're animal lovers, and I thought somebody was typing because I'm hearing tap, tap, tap. To be honest, he's driving me crazy right now, but well, uh, that's just between you and me. In house, and you else. just live in it. You know that, right? Okay, so we're going to get back. That was so adorable. Happy, and I have several companion animals here. We'll probably make a uh, surprise entrance. They're, they're what you call uh, upstagers. Uh, but um, let's get back to Happy. Uh, Happy, which is such a tragically ironic name, when I hear about it, it just angers me. The idea that you name an animal that you abducted from the wild happy and then leave them in an enclosure for decades. What's happening with happy? So happy individually is still where she has been, of course, for the last 45 years. But there is a ray of hope for her because uh, next week, May 18th at 2 p.m., the highest court, state court in New York, the Court of Appeals will hear an argument, a historic argument. Um, on behalf of Happy, made by the Non-Human Rights Project against uh, the Wildlife Conservation Society, which owns and manages the Bronx Zoo. And this is the first time that any court, any English-speaking court, will consider a question like this. Does habeas corpus extend to non-human animals, any non-human animals? Um, Happy was also, um, somewhat coincidentally, the first elephant in the world to be documented to pass uh, what's called the mirror self-recognition test. It's this kind of classic test for self-awareness to where they mark her head with a kind of chalk X, put her in front of a mirror. And if she stands there investigating the mark on herself and kind of touching it, it's uh, just as it is for human children and human psychology. It's a sign that this individual recognizes themselves. And, and we, among with many, many other scientific facts, historical arguments, uh, all kinds of legal arguments, we present that to the courts uh, so far here in New York, which is filed a case in California this week as well. Um, and we urge them to basically update the law to say that human beings are not the only 
uh, species, not the only individuals who can possess at least some rights, right? We're not talking about the right to drive, the right to marry. We're really talking about one right, a right to bodily liberty. And we ask that Happy be sent to an elephant sanctuary where she can at least have some degree of normalcy. You know, unfortunately, at this age, she really can't go back to the wild to the extent uh, that that really exists for elephants and, and other non-human animals. Um, in nature. And so um, by the end of June, we expect the court will rule. It's very hard to say, uh, you know, this has never been, uh, a case like this has never been heard before in the United States. So it's very hard to say what the judges might ultimately do. But we have had some um, earlier opinions from other judges in New York uh, that have been at least open-minded to this question of we have to, we have to get past this species barrier, because that's really what it is. In the cases so far, and going back to 2013, when we first started filing habeas corpus petitions for chimpanzees in New York, uh, the law, the, the judges have essentially said, you know what, the law is made for human beings. And that includes habeas corpus, that includes every single right. Uh, you know, we argue and argue about the science. We say, look, you know, elephants, chimpanzees, some other species like us, they've already been proven to have all of these cognitive attributes that can recognize themselves and plan for their own future. And to be very, very clear, we don't argue that this is uh, somehow a requirement for rights or these are the only beings that can have rights or we just say, look, at least court, you have to apply the law um, and extend it to at least these non-human animals. Um, and that's that's the argument that we're going to have next week. I have so many questions. First of all, aren't corporations now considered individuals? They if uh, Coca-Cola looks in a mirror, does Coca-Cola see a square on its forehead? I mean, how do you apply that? And also, obviously, there are people who have accidents, who are in comas, uh, who are developmentally um, disabled, uh, dementia. I mean, really, how can they possibly uh, say that an elephant uh, is not a, a human, is not a person when a corporation's considered a person, Kristen. I think you went to law school, Jane. You're hiding it from us. Because <laughs> you're absolutely right. The technical word, and it's a little bit funny, is called legal person. It doesn't mean that happy as a human. No one's saying that. But like a corporation who can sue and be sued in their own name and claim certain rights, including campaign donations now, uh, the argument is that Happy Too should be able to present herself through her, her friends, Kevin and, and his colleagues, um, to claim certain rights. And the court should see her as a person, a legal person, standing in the court. Because up until today, the court, uh, you know, in practice, doesn't see her because she doesn't count as a quote unquote legal person, not a human being. We're not saying, as Kevin said, that happy should be treated as a human like us with all the rights that we're entitled to, but rather as a legal person with the rights that are appropriate for her, just like a corporation gets the rights that are appropriate for it as a legal person. The argument is so simple in so many ways. And yet, as Kevin said, it involves getting past this hurdle that we've, that we've built up, that they are so different from us. And actually, they're not at all, especially these very high, high cognitive capable animals um, like Happy the Elephant, like orcas. Not to say that others don't deserve rights too, but right, to, right now, right today on May 8th, 
we're talking about an elephant, one of, if not the most intelligent and capable animals on this planet, more capable than us in many ways, in many talents that, that elephants have, we don't even have. So that's, that's where we are right now. And we've got a caller, uh, Donnie Moss of TheirTurn.net, who has been at the protests for Happy and has done some incredible um, videos, many documentaries that are on Unchained TV, our global streaming network. We have a global streaming network for animal rights and the vegan lifestyle. And you can get it on uh, iPhone, on uh, it's absolutely free, iPhone, Apple phone, um, Android phone, Roku device, Apple TV device, Amazon Fire Stick, or just put in Unchained TV into streaming channels on your LG or Samsung smart TV. We just passed our millionth view and we just launched recently. So Donnie uh, Moss of TheirTurn.net did a video on a recent protest about Happy that is on Unchained TV. Donnie, what is your question or thought for our esteemed panel of attorneys? So my question is, if the New York State Court of Appeals rules in favor of the non-human rights projects and grants happy bodily liberty, then what would that mean for captive elephants in other zoos and elephant ride concessions in the United States? Excellent question. Uh, you want to take it, Kevin? Yeah, well, you know, I think that there's there's so many ways it could go. I think to look at recent examples of what are hap what's happening with constitutional rights in the United States, um, there can be counter reactions, right? We've already seen Idaho recently passed a law that says only human beings can be legal persons, not animals, not artificial intelligence, not the environment. And so, you know, this is becoming um, a battleground. You know, they even discussed Happy's case in the context of doing that. So I think that a win for Happy would open doors in some places, but could, you know, create turmoil in other places. And I think this kind of goes back to the other caller who had the great idea that I've thought about too, right? A law firm that just is doing habeas corpus cases. But I think in the bigger picture, what's going to happen based on kind of historical examples that we try to base our work on is that you generate attention, which a case like Happy's has generated a ton of attention, which can obviously be critical. Um, but then it becomes a legislative issue, a social issue and a, and a court issue, right? And it's not it's not a matter of just kind of one lawsuit after another. You really have to kind of get to a deeper uh, kind of to, to the core of what the issue is. And, and the issue is really, uh, like Kristen said, like we've all said in different ways that we categorically treat non-human animals differently, whether philosophical, religious, all kinds of reasons, those reasons get expressed through the law, ultimately. So Macarena, it is interesting that Ecuador is way ahead of the United States when it comes to uh, constitutional rights for animals. Give us a global perspective, uh, because this is a global movement. These animals are often abducted from other parts of the world, mm -hmm. and then they're kept in the United States. Um, they're often um, shipped zoo animals from one part of the world to the other. Uh, for entertainment, for breeding purposes, treated as commodities. Where does the world stand and what's the global view? So as you say, animals are moved across the world from one country to another. In Latin America, for example, some of the most famous cases 
uh, involve an orangutan named Sandra that is currently living in Florida in the Center for Great Apes. And for example, Sandra uh, was born in Germany, but she was sent to Argentina and lived many years in a zoo in Buenos Aires, in the capital of Argentina. So for example, in that case, uh, it was all a very important case because it was the first time in Latin America that a judge recognized an animal, uh, Sandra in this case, as a subject of rights. And it was a long trial and it had different parts that I won't explain because it's just boring lawyer stuff. But um, the important thing is that is that this case at the end uh, influenced many cases, not only in Latin America and in Argentina, but over the all over the world. Even for example, the famous case in Islamabad involving the zoo where Cher's foundation, uh, Free the Wild, I think it's called, was involved to free Kavan, the elephant, and send him to a sanctuary in Cambodia. Well, even that judgment in Islamabad mentioned Sandra's case, the Argentinian case. And so we see that these cases, even though sometimes they may not uh, be successful because a higher court reverses them or whatever reason, they are still influencing other cases and are still being referenced in other ju judgments around the world. And the press is still uh, recognizing these animals as non-human persons in public media. So these animals are becoming famous for being the first non-human persons to be recognized by a court. So this has had a huge influence, not only in the, in the public that is getting used to hearing the concept of legal person together with the concept of animals, but also has influenced judges. And you can, if you see like the historical evolution of these cases at the beginning, judges, for example, in Latin America, would just dismiss these cases and find them frivolous or ridiculous or just dismiss, this, dismiss them saying, hey, this isn't an, an animal and the habeas corpus is only for humans. And they wouldn't dig deeper into the case. But now these cases are reaching the highest courts in the country. The constitutional court in Ecuador is the highest court in the country. For example, there's another case in Colombia involving an Andean bear that also reached the highest courts in the country. And so there was a debate among the Supreme Court and the Constitutional Court re regarding animals. So judges are becoming interested in this, in this topic. And that's, for example, the reason why the Ecuadorian constitution selected Estrellita's case to develop binding jurisprudence on animal rights and the scope of the habeas corpus. That's because those judges were interested in the case. And they are seeing that there's a need to solve these issues and decide these issues. So they are starting to select them. And this is a trend that we can see and that's growing in Latin America. It's already happened in Argentina and Colombia and Ecuador. Now, for example, not through the courts, but through maybe the new constitution in Chile, the rights of nature are made if the new constitution, the draft is approved then the new constitution will regulate the rights of nature in Chile. So maybe this will be a path that will help certain animals too. So this is like uh, an increasing trend in Latin America that I think uh, and I hope expands to other regions around the world. Wow. Well, that was very thorough. And thank you. I understand this a lot more. I never knew that courts could kind of 
Well, I guess I sort of did that they kind of select a case that they want to get their paws on. Um, and so you're saying that that's a really good sign because it means they're interested and they're not just throwing it out and saying, no, we won't hear this. And again, um, the Latin America is ahead of the United States when it comes to giving uh, legal rights to animals. That is kind of shameful, I think, to the United States, but there's an opportunity for it to turn around and it's coming up with the case of Happy the Elephant who's been stuck at the Bronx Zoo for many decades, abducted from the wild. So we're gonna take a short break here on Voice America Radio, but we're going to stay live on Facebook. We've got an incredible panel. Stay right there. We're gonna take a brief break. sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Welcome on JTV, taking a look at what's been described as the most important legal case for animals of the 21st century. This is the case of Happy the Elephant the ironically named elephant at the Bronx Zoo, trapped there for decades, having been abducted from the wild. And there are a team of lawyers from the Non-Human Rights Project trying to get happy out. And we have some great attorneys here. We've got um, Kevin Schneider, who is an attorney for the Non-Human Rights Project. We've got Kristen Stilt, who is a professor of law and faculty director of the Animal Law and Policy Program at Harvard University. And we've got Macarena Montes Francis Jeannie, who is, well, her um, bio is so incredible that honestly, I'd be here for an hour just reading it. But just unbelievable um, international um influence, I would have to say, not just Harvard, but also um, University of Chile. And again, 
there's so much that you've done and so many places you've been, it's hard to summarize, but we're so honored to have you all here. So let's talk a little bit about Happy the Elephant and what's coming up in terms of this huge case in New York. There have been many protests. Um, there are going to be protests also outside and demonstrations, the court on May 18th, when this goes before a court in New York. So Kevin, tell us what exactly is going to happen and what's at stake. Yes, you're right. And uh, 1230 uh, or even a little bit earlier, we'll be starting to gather outside the Court of Appeals in Albany. So we welcome anyone who can who can make it there. Um, and at 2 p.m. Uh, the court or around then the court uh, will hear arguments in Happy's case and those Fortunately, will be live streamed, uh, so anyone can watch those, and they'll also be posted after the fact. The court uh, does official videos of all of its um, arguments these days, which is very helpful for us. And uh, what you'll see is, we don't know how much time we get. We think that based on history and the novelty of our case and the the pretty intense attention around it, that we will get a little bit longer than uh, your typical case. Sometimes they only get about 10 minutes. Uh, we think the judges will be more interested in that. Um, particularly because there's so many outside kind of voices that are trying to be heard in this case. Um, on our side, on Happy's side, there have been uh, something like 15 to 20 briefs submitted by some of the leading uh, lawyers, you know, constitutional law experts, religious scholars, uh, philosophers, all of them making different kind of arguments for why Happy, you know, the court should recognize Happy as having this right. You know, philosophical reasons should be overridden, you know, religious opposition they should, you know, talk about getting around those kinds of things. And then on the other side, uh, opposing Happy's case, we not only have the Bronx Zoo, of course, itself, which truly claims her as its property, right? So here you have the kind of absurdity of a nonprofit organization, which is a corporation, a person, right? Claiming to own a living, breathing, self-aware elephant and calling it, it, it their property, right? So that, I think, kind of captures the absurdity of the case. But you also have very well organized national lobbying groups like the uh, Association of Zoos and Aquariums, uh, the National Biomedical Research Association, the New York Dairy and Farm Bureaus. And essentially the argument they're making is to the court, if you recognize even happy having this one individual right for one elephant or even one species or even a small number of species, for, including chimpanzees and orcas and uh, gorillas, for example, they say that this will basically cripple the economy. It will lead to the end of uh, fishing and farming and all kinds of things that really, frankly, have nothing to do with Happy's case. Happy's case is quite limited um, by design because we recognize that a court really can't take on every issue at once. But we also think that it's evidence that, um, you know, Happy's case is really having a very big impact. It's it's making uh, people who make their living off of the industrial raising and slaughter of animals feel a little bit uh, perhaps nervous. And frankly, um, I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the problems we're facing as a global society, a huge percentage of them can be traced back to our toxic relationship with animals. Um, the pandemic the New York Times on February 27th did an article saying that the scientific community has now essentially concluded that, yes, it started at the wet market, which is a retail slaughter market in Wuhan. All the other theories aside, of course, nobody can ever say for sure with any case. That's why they have things like beyond a reasonable doubt. 
uh, in legal cases, <laughs> you, if you weren't there when it happened, you don't never know what with a thousand percent certainty. But they're saying that the evidence uh, overwhelmingly points to it started with wild animals, mixing with domestic animals, connecting with humans at the slaughterhouse in Wuhan, China. So right there, the pandemic, you have the health issues, you have um, starvation happening in Somalia right now and other parts of the world. Uh, and obviously, 80 billion animals eating a huge percentage of the food grown is a uh, big problem when you could take that food and feed it directly to people. More than 80 percent of soy is food fed to farmed animals. I mean, I could go on all day, um, but there is a, a wall of denial and um, uh, organizations that use animals, even if they're considered nonprofit, but they're exploiting animals for experimentation or for zoos they would feel incredibly threatened by something like this. So let me ask Kristen still, you're there at Harvard. Obviously, you know, they say what happens in LA spreads to the rest of the world. Uh, but what happens at Harvard determines how uh, the intellectual community in the United States and Europe pretty much feel about something. So what's happening at Harvard vis-a-vis -vis animal rights? Is it still, is there still a lot of condescension or is there a sense that well, we are connecting the dots. And yes, our toxic relationship with animals is causing all of this pain, suffering, and death. Uh, I will tell you what starts here goes everywhere because every university wants to do what Harvard does and be like Harvard and offer the classes that Harvard does. And we founded the Animal Law and Policy Program in, um, in 2014. And we've grown from that time to a massive program that also includes a clinic. So we have a, a litigator, um, Kathy Meyer, who is litigating cases day and night, working with students to do that. We have visiting fellows. We have, uh, we have courses. We have campaigns. We have a, a, a massive operation. And in the fall, we were endowed by the Brooks McCormick Jr. Um, um, Animal Rights uh, and Policy Program. And we now right are permanent we are here and we are expanding and schools look at us and say oh this is a serious topic because as you said it relates to human health to the environment to global warming it relates to every essential problem that we are facing today and we intend to you know help other programs grow and enable this kind of work around around the world um, and be a model for what should what should be happening and the kind of questions that should be asked. And I'll say the final thing is that the younger generation gets it. I mean, they really do. It, the college kids are desperate for this kind of academic study. Um, they're desperate to reduce their carbon footprint by eating less, less meat. So there is a lot of hope when you look at um, college students or law students. We have tons of student interest. Wow. And and let me ask you, OK, apologies if this is a dumb question, but when you go to law school, you can choose, for example, I want to be a lawyer that works in the business arena. I want to be an environmental attorney. Is there like a uh, a major? I know when I went to college, I majored in broadcast journalism, but I could have picked print journalism um, or other forms of journalism. Uh, is there a way where, where students can major in animal rights law and get a degree in that? 
Yeah, so law school doesn't have majors. It's a degree. It's a, a general application. You get a law degree. But, you know, students are coming to us who can get in, which is a very difficult process itself, to study animal law, to take our classes, to work in our clinic, and to go out and be animal lawyers when they are, when they're done. So we are training cadres of, of students to become lawyers. And animal law is so broad, right? You need to know about habeas corpus. You need to know about local government law because maybe you can get elephants, you know, established as legal persons in your city. You need to know about international law, trade law, it, food law, health law. It's, it requires capacity in a lot of topics. So, you know, go to law school, <laughs> uh, come here if you can and um, get all the tools you can and, and go out and, and fight for these causes. And if you come here, we'll train you really well. We'll spend some time working on real cases in our clinic under the tutelage of Kathy Meyer, who is really an amazing litigator. And, uh, and, and we'll, we, will keep, we will keep expanding and keep developing uh, the legal community. Wow, that is so encouraging. It fills my heart with hope. Now, uh, let's talk about some other cases. I'm here in Los Angeles, and there has been a move to get Billy, who is an elephant at the LA Zoo, out. And it's a very parallel situation. There's protests outside the LA Zoo. There's demands. There's an attorney who, David Castleman, has worked many, many years, a dear friend, to try to get Billy out, gone to court. There's all sorts. It's a, pretty much a parallel situation to what's happening with um, Happy, the elephant at the Bronx Zoo. Are you aware of that, Kevin? And is that something where there's just like the Ecuador case has an impact that Billy would have an impact on a Happy or vice versa? Certainly, you know, we've been tracking Billy's case for years and we've actually, I can't go into all the details, but we've tried uh, legislative efforts. We've uh, looked at possibly bringing a lawsuit, um, but we decided instead with respect to California, which actually we just filed our first ever uh, case in California just this week, a habeas petition on behalf of three elephants in Fresno at the uh, Chaffee Zoo. Um, and it's a habeas petition just like Happy's, and it's the first time that uh, any case like this has been brought in California. So, you know, our hope now in the in the nearer term is that um, that that case is is successful. I mean, it'd be great to be successful in the first try, but you know, we're we're guardedly optimistic. And then seeing how that goes, I think will open all sorts of uh, potential avenues for uh, individuals like Billy. While uh, again, you know, while we're able to draw attention to the issue of elephants in captivity and wild animals and other wild animals in captivity, uh, we we're seeing that legislators are drawn to that, right? I mean, this is issues, these are issues that drive a lot of interest, I think more and more like you, like you uh, pointed out. And I think they, uh, the right ones want to be attached to that. And I think that's really super important for what we're trying to do. Well, as Macarena mentioned, there are these um, cases that like Lolita, Lolita is famous, this poor um, animal who's uh, trapped, dolphin, I believe, or whale, mm -hmm. trapped in uh, an aquarium in Florida. And there's been, again, 
legal cases, protests. I mean, there's the same kind of thing that happens around those cases. And then there's the hippos. And I wanted to ask you, um, Macarena, are you aware of the hippo situation? Because that's also a legal case in Latin America that's gotten a lot of attention. Where does that stand? Well, um, I don't know like the details of the case, but I understand that there, there it's not a habeas corpus case, but it was a case where um, they filed like a petition in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so for like the U.S. to con- to consider the hippos in Colombia as a litigant, according to the U.S. Uh, law. So because they wanted experts that live in the U.S. to that are experts in hippos and to declare in the trial in Colombia. So it, it's I think it's kind of different from the cases that, for example, the non-human rights projects bring, because it's more something like a procedural thing of getting a witness or an expert to declare in Colombia rather than a direct case like the habeas corpus where, where you're telling the court, hey, hey, judge, this animal is a legal person with the right to, to liberty, you know? So it's kind of different in that way, but you can say that it was a success in its own way in the sense that the court in the U.S. considered these hippos as litigants. And I think the statute in the U.S. says that uh, the application can be presented by an interested person. So that's like the... Um, the, the issue with the hippos, but it's true that it's a big uh, issue in Colombia. Um, there's a lot of people in. Well, it's a, a controversial, controversial case in Colombia. The hippos, as you said, were uh, were part of Pablo Escobar's this drug lord's personal zoo, um, and then when he died and that zoo was abandoned or yeah abandoned the hippos reproduced successfully in the colombian uh, in that colombian uh, region i think it's um it's near medellin i think so mm, they reproduced and so now there's this issue like many things that humans that we as humans are current are always doing like bringing animals to other parts of the world that animals that shouldn't be there and then they reproduce and then what's the what's the solution for this killing them that's like the the normal solutions that humans try to to use for everything but we know from other uh, other types of situations where animals reproduce successfully that killing them doesn't solve the problem so that's why uh, we for example in barcelona they've started to feed for example pigeons with a food so they don't reproduce anymore and other types of humane ways of controlling the population that doesn't imply just killing them. Absolutely. I mean, I deal with that just in my own neighborhood where somebody said, oh, there might be a rat. Let's get extermination. And no, we're right here at the Bayona Creek. We don't want to do an extermination. And so this extermination mentality is one of the reasons why we now are going to be um, in, a, in a climate crisis, because what, uh, one of every three bites of food we take uh, depends on uh, pollination. And if we destroy the food chain uh, and we poison animals up and down the food chain, guess what's going to happen? We're not going to have food. We're going to have crop failure or we're not going to have crops. And these are the kinds of things that um, I wish that the intelligentsia 
that is so smart, um, supposedly could do the math on, you know, you have uh, 13 year olds who can make this connection and going vegan. And yet you have some of the quote unquote smartest people on the planet who can't even fathom that 8 billion humans raising and killing 80 billion land animals every year is not sustainable when a large percentage of the uh, forests and the trees which absorb carbon are destroyed for cattle grazing or to grow crops to feed farmed animals. There was just an article, I believe it was in the Washington Post talking about how US consumption of beef is the key reason why the Amazon is being destroyed. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so um, I I have to go back to you, Kristen, you're there in uh, the global ground zero of smart people Uh, how is it that these relatively, I mean, people who can understand quantum physics and who can create spaceships that go, you know, to uh, other planets can't figure out that what we're doing in terms of our relationship with animals is not only primitive and barbaric, but it is now destroying our planet and causing things like world hunger, uh, water pollution, drought, um, climate change, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, how, is it, how is it possible that they don't connect the dots that are becoming increasingly pandemics, increasingly impossible to ignore? Cognitive dissonance. What you like, you don't want to think is a problem. And I will tell you, there are very smart people here who work on climate change and all these other questions, and they sit down with a hamburger, and I can't believe it. I, and I, I think this is slowly, slowly going to change. Um, but it, again, it may be just generational because it is just not wanting to recognize that your choices, your preferences are destroying, right? Destroying the earth, even if you rationally know. And this is a big hurdle that we have to overcome. People know that animal agriculture contributes significantly to climate change. But, it's, but they don't want to change their eating practices. So that is something we have to work on. But if we take it back to Happy's case, here's the other thing. Some of the smartest zoos in the country have let go of their elephants. The Detroit Zoo, one of the best zoos in the country, has said, even here, we cannot provide the kind of space and terrain that elephants needed and have let them go to a sanctuary and, and the zoo didn't fall apart. They actually got more visitors than ever out of because they respected the decision, which was well explained to the public. So there can be change, but people have to let go of preconceived ideas like I should be able to see a confined elephant. No, actually, you shouldn't. Right. I should be able to eat as much meat as I want. No, actually, you shouldn't. Um, we have to make better choices but we also have to have a top-down approach too, right? We need legal reform. We need legal reform that says it it is not permissible to hold animals in confinement. And it's not permissible to import wild animals from all over the world to the U.S., which we do, by the way, for exotic pets, right? Those, that is a terrible zoonotic disease risk. That zoonotic disease being, of course, what COVID is, right? When it goes from an animal for which it caused uh, no harm to, to a human for whom it's, 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 it's a disease. 
So yeah, you raised some really important points and I want to ask this to Kevin. Are you going to be able to make arguments like in the wild, elephants um, go for many, many miles on a typical day and this elephant is confined to what would it be? It would equal a human being living in a bathtub. Absolutely. And, you know, we got the trial court to recognize that after 13 hours, she came back and said, happy really belongs in a sanctuary, not in this lonely one acre enclosure. But like we've just been talking about, there are deeper forces at play that we have to, I think we've been contending with for years, but that I think have to be fought out in public. And when it comes to things like, you know, the interface with meat consumption and other things, I think it kind of goes to show how, how much the cognitive dissonance and you know, all of these psychic numb, all these issues are real because of the kind of reactions that we've seen. You know, for example, Kristen just mentioned the Detroit Zoo. When they made the decision to send their uh, elephants to a sanctuary, the uh, overarching, you know, body that accredits all the zoos, the AZA, which also filed a brief against uh, Happy's right to freedom, of course, uh, they threatened to kick the Detroit Zoo out, take away their accreditation. Why? Because I think they can't, have and they can't tolerate any one of their members suggesting that even one uh, non-human species might might not be appropriate for captivity, right? And so the idea of that getting out, I think, was so sort of threatening because I think the common thread in so many of these things, again, is this idea of property, this idea of this is mine, I can take care of it better than you. Uh, you know, Happy's been our has been our elephant for forty-five years. You can't come in and tell us. Uh, this is, you know, common playbook, what they say, you outside activist lawyers, you don't know. It's not us, right? We go to the world's leading experts who have studied elephants in the wild and captivity for most of their lives. And they all are telling us the same thing, that an individual like Happy uh, is suffering uh, in this kind of captivity. And we're asking that the law finally uh, update and, uh, you know, get into what we think is accord with modern uh, values on this issue. And you shouldn't charge people. You shouldn't accept, you know, they're making money from an elephant in captivity. It's just, it's just wrong. And one of the things that was explained to me, the difference between a zoo and a sanctuary is the sanctuary is set up for animals. The zoo is set up for people. So why do they have to keep the animal confined? Because if they had a giant open space, uh, the, the animal would go away. People and animals do not want to be on display like a piece of clothing in a department store window. And you have to keep that confinement in order to keep the animals on display. And in the 21st century, where people can put on 3D glasses and run with an elephant in the wild for hundreds of miles, uh, there's no reason. This is a primitive, primitive concept. I believe personally, zoos, all of them need to transition to a sanctuary model. And sanctuaries can take the place of zoos and offer other things other than animals in display. There's plenty of wonderful sanctuaries where you get to see animals, but it's on their terms. And we will see you next time here on Unchained TV, Voice America Radio and Facebook. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.